and welcome to episode 2 of Slime Wars on our podcast Gold Talks. Slime Wars covers a wide range of pivotal moments in 20th century history. This massive epic is a semi-autobiographical, conspiracy-minded piece of science fiction populated by J. Edgar Hoover, Cold War spies, world-devouring slime molds, and otherworldly aliens. The book is narrated by the author E.J. Gold himself. After I worked for the U.S. Army as a PFC clerk typist trainee 006, which is Department of Defense Disinformation Scramble for Subtle Telepathic Psychojammer Spook, MOS 0000, I was recruited to that now famous unnameable and unnumbered intelligence agency we'd all been hearing so much about for months out in the field. And everyone in our intelligence unit was curious about the so-called ISA, or Intelligence Support Activity, a cover name to avoid congressional inquiry from penetrating too far into the need-to-know areas. Now, of course, there are hundreds of books about the ISA and other cover organizations burying super-secret intelligence units underneath their bureaucratic underbellies, although it has always been the most heavily classified pork-barrel system in history. Hamlet's mate, a jet-black, long-haired Persian cat appropriately named Spook, was also given to me by Bob about a year later. I had her spayed because two cats were quite enough for me to handle, but with my global TDY operations, and only nine orderlies to help me deal with all of that, but all but seven of whom I had to take with me on field expeditionary campaigns, leaving barely enough staff at home to satisfy the requirements of even one feline. Special instructions came with the two temple cats, and according to those instructions, I have not told this story to anyone else for 25 years, which, not coincidentally, is exactly how long both of these slime mold spawn felines happened to live before passing into slime mold format up on the hill above the Zen garden in back of the house, where they wander in the glow of sunset, squatting now and then the occasional E. coli concentration donated by some temple guardian under this or that leafy green. With all of the hurrah about super-secret, high-level classified material like this stuff these days, as you'd expect, I've taken the precaution before publishing of obtaining signed, dated, and witnessed sworn promises of safety from prosecution or execution by death squad from the U.S. Defense Information Agency, Army Security Agency, Justice Department, KGB, the mob, Disney Studios, and of course the aliens. You have to obtain written permission to publish alien stories directly from the aliens themselves, and of course, once you send them your story and apply for permission to publish, they know where you live. Why give them that sort of total power over my First Amendment right to open my app and put my foot directly in it? I'll tell you why. Because they control all the media, not just most of it. That's why. At least the tiny, spindly-limbed, egg-headed, iridescent, grayish-skinned, enzyme-starved variety do. You know, those scrawny little macrocephalic guys who commute daily to the 21st century from their battle camp in the middle of the ancient Egyptian settlement of 18th dynasty Amarna, the birthplace and the home of King Tut, where aliens are totally inconspicuous because, as you can see from the pictures and statues of Akhenaten and his family, everybody at the city of Akhenaten looks like that. Aliens are a wild card. They weren't written into the Earth game, but no matter how us slime mold operators try to flush out the bugs in this combat simulation program you call Earth, those darn aliens show up in every battlescape scenario. 
Of course, we can't possibly know in advance that it's going to happen again. It isn't until the Great Mother Slime Mold back in the AD 37th century hits the run button that, like that elusive high-memory virus in your commercial human-engineered microprocessing chips, the darn aliens show up everywhere, and that's just after you thought you thoroughly expunged the entire system by hitting reset and reboot. But when you see them popping their huge gray heads out of every nook and cranny, and they start coming out of the woodwork by the thousands, you know then they haven't somehow come back. They just never left. My red slime mold tactical team has always been the deadliest foe of any alien, even so-called friendlies, of which there are darn few, and you'll understand why when I explain that the aliens always play on the side of the blues, the slime molds who want to save humanity, while I and my team are, of course, of the opposite persuasion. See, if you humans all die right down to the very last one, my team wins. So it's to my team's advantage if you have a giant global conflict that destroys every single one of you right down to the very last gasping, whimpering human, reaching out for some imaginary help that will never come, slowly dying on a rotting field of thoroughly irradiated corpses heaped up and flung down to the horizon as far and wide as the eye can see. If us slime molds can just arrange a big global nuclear storm when it melts the dirt and sand into a thin, glowing, green glass protective shell, it would forever provide shelter to the billions of human and other animal bodies lying in a 23-inch stratum encapsulated underneath the high-gamma man-made trinitite glass shell. It's only in this artificially formed nuclear greenhouse that all that is human can properly liquefy into that thin layer of bioplasma we call green goo, which happens to be exactly what the great mother slime mold requires, so she can incubate outward from a tiny spot on a compost can in a lower stairway all the way in the back of the downstairs service section of the White House Executive Mansion at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in Washington, D.C., and expand within a few short years to the fully conscious global entity she is today. Before you're too quick to thank the aliens for saving you from us red team slime molds, let me remind you that they work with the blue team. And that can't mean anything good for humanity. I guess the best way to explain what the aliens want and why you'd be better off dead if they get it is to tell you the whole incredible, hard-to-believe story exactly the way it happened. Luckily, unlike most living witnesses, I have a good memory for names, dates, and places, and I have nice, clear, professional pictures to prove everything I say. If I'm dead by the time you read this, leave out the living and make that unlike most witnesses. Of course, the aliens would do anything to stop me from producing this pulp film and to stop you from getting hold of it or talking about it after you've seen yourself in it and burned it to destroy the evidence. I recommend the script be read strictly on a need-to-know basis, which means destroy when finished reading, then to continue reading or to reread a section, simply draw a new copy from Quartermaster or place a purchase requisition slip with a smog PX in plenty of time to allow ordering, shipping, and notification of next of kin. It's the aliens who want to slow down the destruction of humanity, and it's our job to stop them. And when you understand what we're up against and why we're doing what we're doing, you'll want to do it too. 
Aliens aren't hard to fathom. They're like any other farmers. They require lots of time, sun, rain, nitrogen-rich soil, and gently repeating seasons to assure them of plenty of humans and cattle for their grim harvest. So if you humans all died off in a single moment, as in full-scale nuclear exchange, they'd lose their crop, which is you. Well, not exactly all of you. They don't want all of you, just your tongue, your eyeballs, your gonads, your uterus, if you've still got them, or any other enzyme-rich mucous membranes you might have lying around on your person. As you probably know, the gray aliens, the ones you're most likely to run into coming out of your local 7-Eleven mini-market or driving at night along some deserted highway, use processed human mucus and mucus tissues in the manufacture of their skin lotions and other life-giving beauty supplies in much the same way that most lipstick is made from crushed earthworms. For listening to our podcast, Gold Talks is produced by Niship Gajar and sponsored by Jukebox Mind. Voice of EJ Gold, courtesy of GatewaysBooksAndTapes.com. For more information, visit IDHHP.com. See you in the next episode. Until then, have a good one. <laughs>